Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Hello and welcome to this week's Countryside here on Manx Radio. I'm Simon Clark And I'm Kiri Kermud. I popped along to a very important meeting held by Defer about wool. I talked to Jen Adams from the Manx Whale and Dolphin Watch about some exciting news around the waters of the Isle of Man. And also I took a trip to Nobles Park for the fun day and spoke to some of the people involved in promoting recycling on the island. Well, firstly, uh, just been a few combines uh, out at the north of the Isle of Man, like we mentioned. Uh, reports are yields aren't great um, uh, at the moment. Just the, must be the way that the weather's been. I suppose there, uh, when we were in lockdown, Simon, in April, when the crops were getting planted and starting to grow up there, they had a bit of a poor start. I suppose the, you know, the drying was setting in. I know down our way in Santon, some of the crops have are very poor looking and despite the fact the farmers have got the fertiliser and lime and all the different uh, nutrients on to help it, it just still didn't come right at all. So that's disappointing to hear, but plenty of silage and hay getting made around the country, so yeah. that's something that's good. There is indeed, and uh, later in the programme we'll be hearing uh, how about the wool situation in the Isle of Man and of course that trip uh, I had uh, walking around the Nobles Park in Douglas last weekend. But first of all, uh, I went along and spoke to Jen Adams, who's the Education and Outreach Manager for the Manx Whale and Dolphin Watch. Well, it seemed the perfect, exciting time to go and have a chat with her. Absolutely. So we um, we have this uh, unbelievable situation where there is a temporarily resident mother and juvenile bottlenose dolphin to Manx waters. And they are regularly coming right inside Peel Bay, um, but all the way up to the north to Ramsey um, via sort of point of air. And the most exciting thing about this mother and calf is that the mother has been identified as part of the Moray Firth population of bottlenose dolphins, um, who was assumed to be missing because she didn't return to the Moray Firth when the rest of her pod did. But little did we know, she's actually been hanging out around the Isle of Man for 11 months now and bringing up a baby. Well, it's incredible news, isn't it? And I mean, is it rare for them that we see dolphins? You know, you've got a a fantastic following uh, for the Whale and Dolphin Watch and a lot of people, general members of the public who are interested. Um, They see dolphins around various parts of the Isle of Man, like you mentioned. I mean, is it rare that you see them with the calf around the Manx waters or not? Um, no, it's not unusual to see calves here. We do regularly see calves and juvenile bottlenose dolphin and Risso's dolphin. But um, it is unusual to see one that is so faithful to a particular site, i.e. Peel, um, and that are coming in so close in, sometimes just within a few metres of the of the sand. It's, re- it's just incredible for us to see and follow. It's the COVID-free, you see, it's attracting them well, in. Well, <laughs> perhaps, yeah. I mean, um, we do have a, um, a lack of boat disturbance. Obviously, we have had for quite a few months now. Um, people that are going out and um, going out on their recreational boats are, tend to be really good around the dolphins and they know to behave and respect them and give them enough space. But you mentioned that the pods uh, up in Scotland there. I mean, it, it's how unusual is it for one of them to sort of breach away from it and move somewhere else? Um, they think it's quite unusual. So um, what happened was this this mother who uh, is called Moonlight, um, and she was named there by the scientists in the Moray Firth, she was first identified back in 1996 as a sub-adult. So she probably would have been about four or five years old herself when she was first seen there. 
Hang on, uh, back in 1996. 1996, yeah. So she's probably about 30 years old now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have been regularly seeing her every single year in the Moray Firth. Um, she's very distinctive. She has two small notches on the top of her dorsal fin, which is unique to her, just like a fingerprint. Um, so in the Moray Firth every year, she had three calves in that period of time. Um, and for some reason, in 2018, she and a population of about 50, 50, sorry, 15 others um, decided to go off travelling and they left the Moray Firth. They went round the top of Scotland. Some of them went round to the west and the east of Ireland and some other ones even went over to the Netherlands. Really? Which is just incredible. And it was the first time that these Scottish scientists had ever known of their dolphins to go to some another completely other country, um, the first international sighting. So it was very unusual. Um, they have no idea why these dolphins decided to leave. But the remarkable thing, or most interesting thing, certainly, is that most of these dolphins did return to the Moray Firth last year, um, excluding our mother, Moonlight, and I think about four or five others. Um, and they were just classed as missing because they didn't know where they went. Um, and we didn't realise until literally last week um, that she actually was our mother of this mother and calf that we're seeing. So we've been documenting their movements in Manx waters for almost 11 months now. Wow, they say this, that she, she had three calves in that time. Mm. So they're, they're not to ha- they don't have one every year and things like that? No, so the first one, um, I think the first one was born about 15 years ago. And then she had another one who was born in 2010 and another one in 2014. And then this current calf who was born in 2019. Has the, the young one got a name? I don't suppose you know if it's a boy or a girl yet. We don't know yet whether it's a boy or a girl. Um, we have been running a competition, actually, to, to name this calf, this dolphin calf. Um, the closing date was Sunday the 2nd on Pill Carnival. So we're just compiling all of the, um, all of the suggested names, of which there are many of them. And we will put them to a Facebook poll. So if you go onto our Facebook page, just type in Manxwell and Dolphin Watch, you'll see a poll of our shortlisted names and you'll get to vote for which one will be hopefully the chosen one. Really? Well, that's such a rare occasion then for, for the Manx Waters and for yourselves here at the Manx Whale and Dolphin Watch and a chance for the, the general public of the Isle of Man to be part of something special uh, by having the name on it. Well, exactly. It's just it won't be just kids, I reckon. That's no, right. no, no. We've had people of all ages want to get involved. Um, Is Simon on the list now? Simon's no, no. It's not actually. I don't think anyone voted for Simon. Good name though, <laughs> especially if it's a girl. <laughs> um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what we come up with. There's some clear favourites in the running. Oh, is there? Um, yeah. Oh, well, we'll not, we'll, we'll not reveal them, then we'll wait till that no, comes yeah, out we'll, on the face. No, yeah, we'll see what happens. But it, it is it's such a thing. But in general, I mean, this is such fantastic news. And how much feedback have you had from the public? Have they been saying to you, hey, we've seen the, the, the dolphin and the pup around certain parts of the island? Yeah, I, yeah, it's been incredible. Um, so, I mean, all of this year, even during the lockdown, we were thinking, you know, people aren't going to be seeing anything. What's going to happen to all of our public sightings? Um but we've had so, so many. 
Um, but majority of them have been moonlight and her calf because they're coming so close in. It's just really easy to see them um, from basically anywhere between Peel and the point of air, if you happen to be in the right place at yeah. the right time. But I, I live at Derby. I'm often down the coast there. don't see much there except on odd seals. Is, is that a, a disadvantage looking from there? Um, it can be generally because it's so low down in Jerby. In fact, anywhere between between Peel and Point of Air, you know, you're you're right down. You haven't really got any elevation, so that means that you can't see so far away. Um, so that's why we don't get that many sightings generally of whales and dolphins seen from Jerby. Um, however, these two have been seen there quite regularly, but purely because of their close proximity to the shore. What about uh, other dolphin sightings then and the, the different types? Because we do have quite a few around mm-hmm. the Manx waters. Is, is, is that is still quite a lot of them round about? Yeah, absolutely. So we have the Risso's dolphin, which are my personal favourites. Um, What's the special to you about them? <laughs> Risso's are cool. They're really unique. They look um, completely different to bottlenose dolphins. They have a sort of square head big tall dorsal fin, they're covered in scratches and scars and some of them look really white in colour. Why are they scarred? Are they fighting with each other? Or? Yeah, there's two mm. reasons. One is um, that they do fight, especially the males. Um, no surprises <laughs> there then. And the other one is um, down to what they eat. So they are not known to be fish eaters, but they're actually eating squid and octopus, bizarrely. So these octopus or squids um, will try and fight back when the dolphins, you know, after them, um, and they lash out, and so the squids peck with their beak, and you get these sort of white kind of like dots all over their body, or you might get big long lines where octopus like um, suckers on the tentacles have taken bits of skin off. It's interesting, and it's it's still nice that yourselves here are, are keeping an eye on the Isle of Man. We've got, of course, the Baskin shark, um, you know. Um, keeping an eye on them as well mm-hmm. which uh, hopefully we'll get to speak to in, in a couple of weeks time about that but you know I mean have Scotland been on saying uh, can we have these back please or there's nothing you can do you can't drive <laughs> them back can you? No they they are absolutely delighted to know that Moonlight is living here and that she's safe and sound they miss her terribly apparently um, but they're just really happy that she's here you know and she's got a baby. Will she go back there do you think in the end? Oh, we have know? We have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. Um, this is the first time that we've ever had a mother and calf bottlenose on their own um, around the Isle of Man um, that, that we've known of, you know. So we don't know what they will do. Um, when the larger pods of bottlenose come back in the winter, um, it might be interesting to see whether they start associating with those or if they keep themselves to themselves. Um, or if they leave again, we just don't know. Um, I assume that they will stay at least for a good while because they appear to have developed a really interesting and quite unique hunting method, but it's using our um, shallow sandy bays. So they've been driving fish um, right onto the, to the sand within just you know a metre or half a metre of, of water, um, and they're kind of circling. So the mother has been seen driving fish in a big circle and almost sort of trapping them inside and then she jumps out and then the fish obviously jumps out as well and she's trying to catch it and then the baby pops up behind and the calf will just be learning this hunting method from from the mother 
and hopefully take it off into the future as well. Yeah, it's nice to explain that because you see it on wildlife programs oh. with the lions and tigers teaching their young ones and things like that. And it, and it happens out with the dolphins as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, different pods of bottlenose dolphins in different parts of the world have their own hunting methods depending on what the habitat's like and where they live and what's available to them. Um, this behaviour, interestingly, has is similar to hunting techniques that the ones in the Moray Firth do. Um, so there is that connection there. So Moonlight has obviously learned it over the you know, over the years, and then she's brought it here and she's teaching her young how to do it. Um, but because they have developed this inshore hunting technique, we think that it is quite unlikely that she will take her calf back out into the deep, um, wide ocean because obviously it's going to be a completely different type of hunting there. Mm. So good chance it'll stick around the waters then. Well, I hope so. Between here and the, the 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 Scottish coast and probably the Irish coast, it's a bit of a trip round to the Netherlands, I would say. It is a bit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know whether Moonlight fancies that or not. Maybe she, maybe in the future, maybe her so, young still will go there. So you'll keep us informed then, and we'll come with an update uh, once uh, the name of the calf has been announced. Yeah, and we'll get certainly. an update to see if. Uh, if they're still around the waters of the Isle of Man. Absolutely, and you can um, go onto our website, so just go to any internet search engine and type in Manx Whale and Dolphin Watch and we will come up, and you'll see a page called Recent Sightings. So any sighting of whales, dolphins, porpoises around the Isle of Man gets put on there. So it's the best thing for you guys to go to, um, to give you an idea of what's been seen where, um, what are the good places to go and try and spot things. And certainly, if you do see anything, be it moonlight in her calf or any other cetacean in Manx waters, um, please let us know. Well, fantastic news and uh, good luck uh, with that when it comes out. If you've got uh, already picked the name that you thought uh, it should be named, the calf, um, you know, it's uh, going to be shortlisted on that Facebook page and, uh, well... You never know, it could be named after you, couldn't it? Eh? Absolutely. So Jen Adams, the Education and Outreach Manager there for the Manx Whale and Dolphin Watch. But you've been a, a sheep farmer and your family involved in it for many years. There's uh, quite a few of them around the Isle of Man. There's sort of good land for sheep, isn't there? And it's been one of them things where the, you, know, you get the money for the, for the sheep and the lamb and in the past, wool. But uh, it's been not such a good story lately, has it? No, it's been quite disappointing, I suppose, Simon. In the whole new world of sustainable and less plastics being used, the wool itself, um, yeah, is being hard hit at the moment. And it's just not wanted. And I know it takes an awful lot to process the wool to make it into jumpers. And, and the last scouring process is quite expensive to do. I went along to a very important wool meeting held by Defer at Laxey and I caught up with Martin Perkins to see what this was all about. Unfortunately the world price of wool has completely collapsed and uh, we were very lucky to get what we did from it and I understand that, uh, that the farmers have had something back but it's not looking good for next year. What is driving the price down because obviously it's a natural product? Well it is and you know it's great for the environment but the problem is with the collapse of the petrochemical industry, uh, uh, the acrylic, uh, terylene and all those sort of um, 
cloths made from uh, petrochemical things, they're at rock bottom price as well. And, uh, you know, the, the, the world is flooded with it. And unfortunately, poor old wool is taking a real back seat. And we've seen the collapse of um, the carpet manufacturing industry in the UK. And uh, yeah, it's, it's in a very sad state. At the moment, the, the Manx wool for our listeners is going out to Bradford to the British Wool Board, where they export it globally. Um, There's a cost for the Manx farmers effort to process it and put it out there and these costs are rising also yeah i mean from the public's point of view the wool order of 1957 means that the manx farmers take it to nokalo and it's all uh, accumulated and graded and then it, as you say it's sent to bradford for the wool british wool um, marketing um and you know it, it costs us to get it across and we actually get a price and the farmers only got paid for last year's wool this year so it's a long time for their cash flow um, but luckily they waited and we got a little bit more at the market than we thought we were going to get so the farmers actually got something this year it may be next year that we may be in a deficit position but you know the department and the farmers that's why we're here today to see what we can do to perhaps uh, break that cycle well that's it at the minute farmers are, are bound by the order the the Marketing Act of 1948 and the order in 1957 to take it to Nokalo. Now you're looking at possibly licenses for individual farmers to process and make their own enterprises out of their wool products. Well, that's what the department's been doing and looking at any possibilities of what we can use it for. And uh, I had a very interesting morning with the Parsons up Balgene. Uh, you may have seen my Facebook page. They let me loose on a couple of sheep. <laughs> the sheep weren't too impressed, but uh, <laughs> I managed, managed to uh, see what the problems were. And then I took three fleeces down to the Laxey Laundrette to... Mm. Um, uh, Richard Henthorne and uh, he processed three of the fleeces but the trouble is it, it needs upscaling and it's an industrial process and we need to have a look at it so Richard is coming back with some more costings on, on that um, but if we could possibly process it on the island clean it and uh, uh, make it fireproof um, it may be possible to use for building insulation but we're a long way from that at the moment but we are looking at it but that's right Martin it's all these ideas that are being put together today in, in this meeting I know it's only a small portion of the farmers and it's just a small voice at the minute but obviously you want to get everyone involved with it but it's the Isle of Man is a biosphere you know, we're on this carbon journey to carbon zero, and wool is a great absorber of this. You know, it, it can't be put on the back burner. It, it is a, gr a great product that could be used. Yeah, I'm not sure how many uh, kilos of carbon dioxide one kilo of wool equates to, but yeah, we should certainly look at that, and it will help us on our carbon target. Uh, if, if that's possible and we are looking at all this sort of thing and of course there's niche markets of Loxton wool and uh, certain other grades of wool that um, the uh, cottage industry that people that spin their own wool themselves are, are actually looking for and these small users can actually apply for a license to uh, sell it away from the government accumulated uh, Nokalo store um, and obviously they, they get something for it but again it's just a small part of the market but if we can do that and, and increase increase it and get more people on board, then it may well be a possibility that that will help going forward. Absolutely. And we've seen, obviously, on social media, some of our farmers have aired their views on how disappointed they are with the prices. And they have used it as alternatives within their own farms. You know, it is very good at, um, you know, the runoff of flood water. You know, 
it can be used on the, on the hill land for that. Also, compost, these, these are like small great ideas like we've been talking about. The idea of putting it to the incinerator, it breaks a few hearts. Yeah, I mean, the incinerator, it's, it's awful to think that we're burning a natural product, isn't it? And you're right on, on what you say about the uh, natural runoff from the hills. Uh, I think in certain areas of the UK, they're using it to try and slow down flood water, which Laxey and the, uh, you know, the uh, Castletown, uh, well, all the uplands of the island would be great if we could do something like that but again it's the labor of actually getting it up there on the hills getting it in the right place because you have to put it in the right place and uh, you know anything we can use it for will be and, and if it has a secondary value as well reducing flooding you know that'd be great Obviously, wool is a great thing here on the Isle of Man. We have our own locked and breed, and it is fantastic. We have some fabulous visitors over. The North Atlantic Sheep Association were here a couple of years ago. It, there's festivals for wool. This is something we can embrace? I think so, and, and it was a great conference. I don't know if you, we went to it in the Manx Museum, and uh, the, the Office of Fair Trading had to tweak their laws a little bit to be able to let them sell, sell individually their, uh, their wares when they came over. But, yeah, you're right. It is, a, it, well, it's, as it says, North Atlantic uh, Sheep Organisation for the fair islands iceland all all across the uh, the north atlantic and i think again if we can support that and perhaps get them back to the isle of man and you know look at some of the ideas that they're using the wool for would be great daniel Crea, you are a sheep farmer and also one of the main shearing contractors on the isle of man now how do you see the wool industry here obviously things are changing globally and in the uk and obviously the isle of man is getting swept along with it and um, unfortunately at the minute i don't see that the wool industry over here is in a very good position going forward but with the environmental focus and there's the environmental capabilities of wool and the rest of it potentially in the next few years it could hopefully pick up hopefully the meeting today will be a start along that but there's a long way to go with it and unfortunately the certainly the global situation with the decrease in the markets over the last well 10 20 30 40 years has not helped the situation and certainly um covid has brought it to a bit of a head this year um but longer term hopefully the outlook will improve because it is one of the most sustainable materials there is there's also various health benefits to using wool especially in insulation carpets clothing etc so as long as we can sort of start making progress towards that I think there is a good potential in the Isle of Man. I see, Daniel. Also, once upon a time, wool used to cover the cost of renting land. You know, you used to be able to pay, pay your way. We're hardly covering the cost of you guys to come in and shear one sheep now with, with the price we get for the fleece. Yes, unfortunately, that, that's true. Like, in my granddad's day, the wool price covered the rent of the farm. And, and in sort of even half a generation before that the wool price covered the farm and, and a man I've heard stories of uh, people opening the wool checks and then having to let go of the men like when it had dropped some of them had to let go of the men previously being employed year on year with the wool check and so but then things change times move on we're now so that was 30 40 years ago at least for most of that unfortunately the cost of labour has increased over time and unfortunately that's what's happened now with the shearing and the um, the price of wool. The, the price of shearing has increased year on year because the price of labour has and unfortunately the price of wool has been devalued mainly due to um, carbon heavy synthetics. As you are a shearer Daniel it is an essential part of the animal's welfare to shear a sheep each year. Yes um, 
the majority of sheep breeds need to have the wool removed. There is, a, of course, you got the, some of the shedding breeds don't, but on the whole, it is a very much a welfare issue that the wool has to be removed. There's numerous health reasons for this, and unfortunately, that has cost implications. So. so as far as things go, farmers are still going to have to have the shearer come in each year uh, and do their job. How do you find farmers reacting to you now? Will they try and do more shearing themselves? Uh, certainly this year with COVID, there's been a um, definite increase in numbers of sheep being shorn themselves by the farmer. Um, going forwards, it's a bit hard to predict. Certainly it will depend on the, um, the wool prices. I would imagine that certainly a certain number of farmers will, but you've got to also remember that farmers are getting older as a rule, so unfortunately there is sort of, as you get older, sheep shearing is a very physical and hard job. It gets harder to do. There's also the cost implications in how many days you spend shearing over doing something else. So while it could seem more expensive to get the professionals in to do it, again, it's like anything else. They do it so much quicker, so the time... So there is the, if you value your own time often enough, it doesn't add up to do that. But if you've only got small numbers of sheep, just knocking them off in the afternoon is often, people enjoy it as well. So if you enjoy it, why not do it? That was Martin Perkins, a DEFA member, and Daniel Creer, one of the shearing contractors on the Isle of Man. Yeah, poor news for that because it was a big, big part of, of me growing up uh, in the early days where you had the big wool sacks. We used to play on them and get told off. <laughs> That's true. And like Daniel said there, Simon, once it used to pay the rent on some of these farms, you used to be able to employ extra staff from the money you'd receive from the wool. And it is a welfare issue. These sheep have to be sheared every year. So it's not a case of, oh, just leave them in the fields and let the wool grow. That cannot be done. It, you know, it causes all sorts of uh, untold problems for the sheep. So it's something that still has to be done. But hopefully we'll find a way to use the wool. It's such a shame. It's such a great product. And um, yeah, let's hope we can come together as an industry and find something, uh, a good outcome out of it. You'd think there'd be plenty of uh, cause for it here on the Isle of Man with the cold winters. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose people can't be bothered washing them separately by hand now. That's this half the battle, isn't it? You're listening to Countryside here on Manx Radio with Kiri Kermode and myself, Simon Clark. Well, with the postponement or cancellation of both the agricultural shows this year there was no stalls or anything at the Tinwell Day Festival but we were lucky enough to uh, be able to attend a gathering at the Nobles Park in Douglas uh, Douglas Fun Day it was and I went along there was loads and loads of people to chat to on the day and one of the themes of the day there was recycling. And firstly, I caught up with Wendy Shimon from the One World Centre. I think you're responsible for this uh, area around here. This yeah. little section for the Global Village, yes. Uh, many people will know that we normally run a Global Village on Tinwood Day at the Arboretum, which obviously didn't happen this year. Uh, so Douglas Council very kindly invited us down to the Douglas Fun Day. And we've got, it's, it's kind of like a taster session, really. It's uh, much smaller than the, the normal event. But we've got the same kind of people here, so we uh, we have some of the charities working overseas, uh, we have Fair Trade, we have some of the groups involved in sustainable development, so Friends of the Earth, people like that. Uh, and we also have two, uh, two of the food stalls from overseas, uh, so we have Filipino food and African food. 
Uh, so it smells absolutely delicious down here <laughs> in the moment. <laughs> but it is, you know, we, we've missed the agricultural shows, missed the Tinwell Day. So I suppose this is the first fully fledged, and, and what a what a venue it is for us. Plenty is. of space, and there's so many people, here, young and old, that are learning. I would hope. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. It's a massive turnout. Uh, you never really unsure how people were going to take to it but obviously everybody just doesn't want to get out of the fresh air having a sunny day definitely helps and yeah it's maybe a different uh, some different people than we would normally see on Timberwood Day so it's it's a great opportunity for us to talk about what we're doing and for people to learn as well I mean you know the, the coronavirus pandemic demonstrated that we are all one world and we are all connected and interdependent so you know it's a, it's a, a, a way of, to understand that that we need to approach these problems from a global perspective yeah people uh, I think I have to note people that get so complacent in the world but this was a was an eye-opener to to what can happen in in all sorts of areas I suppose well that's right and we've just recently had the disasters emergency uh, committee call an appeal for coronavirus in countries like Sudan and Somalia and Yemen where they are already struggling with multiple crises and now they have to cope with coronavirus on top of that so you know we've had it bad I, I, but for other countries it, it's just another nightmare on top of how they already tried to live their lives well you're doing a good job here today and it looks spectacular and uh, I'm glad so many people have come to support it yes thank you very much you know, come on down anyone who's still out there <laughs> Well, Brian, uh, see you here on a, on a busy day, the Rotary Club. Uh, what's your aim here today? Well, it's just awareness of uh, Shelterbox, uh, which is a Rotary project that has been here for 20 years. We've been involved in it and we've sent probably, oh, I don't know, a hundred shelter boxes over the last 20 years uh, to disaster areas all around the world. And we were invited to come here with the One World Centre to help promote um, and given a facility to uh, show our, our wares, basically. So uh, the shelter boxes are equipped with all these pots, pans, six sleeping bags, uh, cutlery and everything to, for six, six people, including a toolbox and uh, torches, water, just water filtration systems, and um, some important basic things then for, basic for people, things who for people need to them. survive. In, in, in different parts, you know, it's a and and it's a good um, advertisement in a way because people will have heard of the Rotary Club and they go, what do they do or where does yeah. the money go? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's nice to be out here, um, making people aware of what we do. As you can see, we've got a lovely presentation today. Eh? <laughs> the tent looks easy to put up, but it wasn't that easy. No, and it wasn't too windy. No, no, it wasn't too windy, but it's uh, no. It's been worthwhile, actually. Just, a, just an, an awareness day, really. A good opportunity. Yeah, so, well, keep yeah. up the good work. And this here, the Sinclair car. That, that was the pioneer of the sort of electric thing, wasn't it? It was, yeah, but it doesn't work today, unfortunately. Oh. But uh, but it does squeeze into that box there. It's surprising. What really? No, I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> so. But there was, it was a pioneering thing. We've seen, you know, there's lots of... Um, different areas of trying to recycle and save energy around uh, the field today yeah. particularly electric cars electric motorbikes up there but when you look this, at this, this, this C5 people people thought at the time it was some sort of joke but really that was the start of it wasn't it mind you saying that I wouldn't want to be it was supposed to be the city car 
but I wouldn't want to be in one now because every car has got bigger and bigger. Can you imagine going down through Douglas on that with a big Range Rover going beside? You wouldn't want to, would you? No, but I mean the Rotary Clubs on the island, they've been going a long time as well and yeah, uh, yes. over the many, many years there's been a lot of members who have given up their time to raise you know, thousands yeah, and thousands yeah. upon yeah. money for charities. Yeah, and our Rotary Club is, is actually quite strong at the moment. We've got 50, 51 members in at the moment. Uh, in fact, we're just introducing for the first time a lady member. Really? Yes, uh, like the MCC in the cricket, then. Oh, it's uh, <laughs> all changed. <laughs> well, good luck to you and your teams. Good to speak to you. Thanks very much. Wendy Shimon from the One World Centre, and also Brian Cool, who's chairman of the foundation uh, of the Rotary Club of Russian Western Man. Uh, always doing lots for charity, and of course, putting the world, uh, you know, educating the world here in a nice way, which uh, is quite nice. Uh, uh, nobody likes it too pushy, do they? No, but it is, it's very important that we do do our be- bit for the environment, I suppose. I know we look back and talk about lockdown, Simon, but it did have that little insight into a different world, you know, less aviation, less cars on the road. And they did say that, you know, the, the numbers in the graphs had slowly started going backwards with the pollution and, and all the effects it has on our climate. So it is important that we keep an eye on it and do what we can. Yeah, I suppose there was many people working and things. There's still people not working, isn't there? But uh, we'll uh, we'll skip that one. <laughs> uh, okay, you can listen to all of the interviews on today's programme and more uh, if you go to Manx Radio's website and you can download the podcast where you get all the interviews, uh, the full versions of them, so you can listen to that at your leisure. And if you've got anything for Countryside, let Kiri or myself know, or you can send an email to countryside at manxradio.com. We're back next week at six, so we'll see you then. Ta-da! Bye-bye!